Hello, sorry, trying to get my mic situated just so. Uh, anyway, good morning. Welcome to Driving Theology. My name's Mike, and uh, what in the world are we going to talk about today is the question. That's the question. Uh, uh, yeah. Of course, there's always lots of stuff we could talk about. Um, sorry, give me one minute. I need to secure my coffee mug here. By the way, a little life hack. You have a, a coffee mug that doesn't fit in a drink holder. And I, I have a kind of a cool coffee mug. It was a gift from my daughter travel travel coffee mug so it's got a lid on it obviously uh but it doesn't really fit in any drink holders in my car um and so of course it flops around and it doesn't have a flat bottom it it it, it has a rounded rounded edges on the bottom so it, it makes it even more susceptible to tipping over which is ridiculous in a travel cup but that's how they made it uh but it has uh insulation properties that make it a special cup but the design needs some work but be that as it may if you have a kind of a horseshoe looking neck travel pillow i, I keep a travel pillow in, in my car uh because i i have uh long breaks and sometimes i'll want to take a nap you know i'm 54 years old i take afternoon naps sometimes uh, and a travel pillow really uh, makes it easier to sleep in places like cars and planes, obviously. Uh, buses, things like that. But a travel pillow, uh, one that's, you know, the, the traditional design with the horseshoe all around. It's got kind of a rigid design. The one I have is a memory foam. It's actually a St. Louis Cardinals travel pillow that I bought in St. Louis when I was home one time. Uh, makes a great a uh, uh, cup holder uh, if you put it on the seat and then let let it nestle around your cup like it would uh, your neck you know if, it, if you've got one that is kind of rigid as I said uh, you just put it on the seat and it will hold your cup no problem and insulate it at the same time um, so yeah little uh, driving theology life hack for you <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I'm drinking some uh, espresso that I roasted myself a couple days ago. A couple days ago, it wasn't very impressive, so I, I went ahead and tried it right after roasting uh, before I degassed and, and uh, let it rest. Usually coffee rests for three or four days before you consume it to get the best uh, results. But I did let it rest after that day and used it today, and man, it's great. It's really good. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be this good, but I'm kind of pumped about that because uh, I've got a whole bunch of uh, this these beans that really nobody's using that I can use for espresso that'll work real well. So, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> man, so this is we're doing our our uh, autumn festival or Halloween festival a week early this year. Uh, so it's this weekend, 
and uh, I think I told you about a, an older Japanese gentleman uh, who's a jazz uh, piano player who I've met um, maybe maybe not anyway last week I got to meet him again for the second time and we were able to uh, go into his studio and sing a few songs together which was a lot of fun he's he's a legit professional um, an amazing amazing player uh, and musician so we're gonna get to do a little gig this weekend together he's it's mostly his gig and I'm gonna do a few songs with him excited about that. It looks like we may have a second gig uh, in, in a couple weeks, possibly. I guess in two weeks. <clears throat> Not sure we're going to do it, but uh, got to see if he's available. So I'll get, get in touch with him today about that. Uh, yeah, just a few little jazz gigs. Uh, I think I've talked about my uh, new semi-obsession with jazz and uh, it's been going on now for just over a year um, <clears throat> yeah so hopefully we'll have something to share about that some future time so yeah it's uh, October I believe today is October the 18th sounds about right 19th, 20, 21st yeah that's right Today's October 18th, and it is a beautiful, uh, warm autumn morning. Uh, I've got the, uh, I'm actually wearing short sleeves today. Uh, I've got the air conditioner on, but I'm not sure it's quite needed. I just wanted to, the car had been sitting in the sun for a while, so I'm trying to boost it. Man, uh, so what's going on with you guys? What's going on in the world? Of course, we're into the second week of the uh, Israel-Hamas um, situation. War, I guess, is what we call it. And it seems like this may be a... Uh, people may be seeking to make this a culminating event one way or the other. Uh, which would mean uh, Hamas is either going to destroy Israel, Hamas with... Uh, her allies, or, or Israel is going to destroy Hamas. Uh, they really seem to be serious about it this time. Perhaps more so than other times, but I don't know. Maybe just feels that way because the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict is still going on for uh, uh, it's well into its second year, probably. That hasn't been resolved yet. It's caused a lot of havoc around the world. Yeah, man, what to talk about today. So, um, yeah, I really don't know. don't know what to talk about. Coffee's good, though. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to have a sip while I think about some inspiration will come to me. This is totally off the subject, but I did have a uh, a uh, humorous idea for a for a Halloween theme, uh, and that is uh, theologians down through the years, 
uh, historical theologians, the theologians of history, starting with Paul, uh, you know, moving through uh, some of the early church theologians like uh, Irenaeus and, you know, uh, Origen and these guys and Augustine, right? <laughs> and uh, on into uh, people like Luther and Calvin. Uh, it wouldn't be that funny. It'd be funny to people who like theology, I guess. <clears throat> I did see a uh, meme that popped up uh, that was posted by a, a, a guy that I follow on Facebook. And it was a quote by a um, reformed, uh, a pastor of the reformed tradition, or you know, Calvinist, if you will. And a question was posed to him, or more of a statement, and it said, it said, out of all, out of all Christians, very few people um, follow Reformed theology. Why do you think that is? And his, his statement was, it's because they don't know their Bible enough. If they knew their Bible well enough, they would be uh, in the Reformed tradition. They would follow Reformed theology. Uh, that was his um, his answer to why don't you think people follow Reformed theology? Why don't you think there's a huge following for it? Uh, and I grew up in a tradition that does follow some uh, Reformed theology. Uh, so, basically, uh, the Presbyterians were a church that started in Scotland, the Presbyterians, and they were a re Reformed tradition, uh, a.k.a. Calvin, Calvinists, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and the Presbyterian church became quite big in Scotland, and it moved, it spread to other places, including America. Uh, and uh, my tradition, uh, the, the people who started the tradition that I follow, came from Presbyterianism. Uh, they came out of Presbyterianism and, and, and wanted to start a, a more uh, ecumenical movement, and that was Churches of Christ. Now today, nobody would accuse Churches of Christ of being ecumenical. Uh, and therein lies the problem of, of denominations. Um, because over time they became just another denomination with, with a very closed set of ideas uh, and, and they were churches with uh, you know, like-minded Christians who, were, who had gathered, right? A lot of people that, that believe the same stuff, obviously. Which is kind of the definition of not being ecumenical, right? No no variety in the types of people in church. Of course, every church has a variety of people who think in different, you know, certain ways, this and that. I, of course, that's true. But, in general, there are, there are cut-off, um, there are lines drawn. And if you don't believe this, for example, or if you don't believe that, then you really can't be a part of our tradition. Church of Christ was really good at um, drawing those lines. Uh, 
another way of, you know, another way of uh, expressing this line drawing would be um, the concept of. Uh, do it on time. That's not okay. Uh, well, not that okay. But how do we kind of late? The concept of legalism, right? Legalism is another is another way to express this line drawing. Uh, that you know you have to meet this 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 and this criteria in order to be okay with God and the people who are okay with God are the people in our church um, and so you know we got the reputation of thinking that we were the only people going to heaven even though that probably wasn't um, the way that theologians or even pastors thought in our tradition, but probably the way um, normal people thought it was. Does that make sense? I don't know many scholars that came up came to that conclusion. Although I could be wrong. Uh, I'm sure I am wrong. Um, I just don't think it was prevalent. Um, but you know, I've I've. I've talked about this before, and that humans are <clears throat> basically tribalistic, right? We're always looking for people uh, who want to support our team, uh, and when we find people with that uh, that affiliation in common, we feel a very real bond to them. You know, it's the same way with being in Japan when you meet a Christian. When you meet another Christian, you suddenly feel like, you know... Um, you feel an affinity for that person simply because uh, they uh, follow uh, what you follow. They believe some of the things you believe, right? It's really the way that people naturally group themselves together. Um, and a lot of that in the past has been by uh, blood, right? Whether you were born in the right country or to the right family or to the right race whether your skin was the right color. But in this day and age, it's less about that. It's still somewhat about that. That's what racism is. Racism still very much exists. Um, it's, not, it's not about that only today. It's also about... Is that uh, it's also about... Sorry, give me a second. It's also about these other affiliations. You know, are you are you from the same city? Uh, do you follow the same sports team? Did you go to the same college? Uh, are you of the same uh, you know church, the same denomination? Okay, if you're of the same denomination, are you of the liberals or the moderates or the uh, conservatives in that denomination? And and you know, there's all these ways to demarcate. Uh, and to get closer and closer to more and more like-minded people. And what this has done, it has made many denominations very, very single-dimensional. Is single-dimensional, is that even a word? Unidimensional, one-dimensional, uh, where you have very little conflict going on, but because there's very little conflict, there's very little growth, right? Everybody knows, and it's it's kind of intuitive, that conflict produces growth, 
So, for example, if, if you want to build muscle, you're not going to do it uh, by sitting on the couch. You're going to do it by, by pain, sweat, and work, and time, and expending energy, right? You're going to have to lift weights. Uh, lifting weights is a, is a kind of a conflict, right? Conflict builds character. The way you navigate yourself through conflict helps you to grow because when you don't have conflict and everybody assumes they're right about everything, uh, well, human nature tells us or human history tells us nobody's right about everything. So there's obviously things that we don't know that we could do better, that we could, uh, we could learn. But if nobody's ever challenging us to do that, um, then how's that ever going to happen? Uh, and so, you know, churches are made up of, of uh, multi-unishaped, uh, uni, uni uh, unicolor uh, Legos, in a sense. I've used this, I think, analogy before. <clears throat> but it's like trying to, you know, you want to build a beautiful uh, model city or something out of Legos. But all you have is one color and one shape. And there's only so much you can do with that. Now, if you have enough blocks, sure, at least at a distance, uh, you can make uh, uh, you can make something look good. But up close, uh, you would see that uh, it's very pixelated, right? Which is what Legos are—they're blocks, just like uh, pixels, right? Blocks of information. And so, visually speaking, it just wouldn't be as pleasing. And it would still only be one color. Right? You're not going to have two or three or four colors. Uh, you're not going to have matching colors. You're not going to have a variety of color. And you won't have a variety of shapes. But if you've got blocks of many colors and many shapes and many sizes, uh, you can make something much more interesting. Right? Uh, you can make a much more beautiful city. Uh, to take the analogy. But there is conflict, right? There's conflict, there's time and figuring out which block goes where. You know, if you've got all the same blocks, you don't really have to worry about it. Uh, you don't have to take the time to think and to use one and, and set one aside. Um, so, yeah, I know, you can only take these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I stick with analogy. You can only take these analogies so far before they break down. Obviously. Oh, goodness. Uh, I love trucks that just pull out in front of you. <clears throat> so you drive slow. Uh, yeah, why did I get onto that? So, anyway, back to Reformed Theology. Calvinism, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, I think if you read your Bible a lot from a very specific uh, Calvinistic hermeneutic uh, or perspective, then yeah, you'll probably become uh, interested in or you'll probably come to believe in Reformed theology or Calvinism. Uh, but I don't think a flat reading of Scripture 
makes anybody a Calvinist. I think you have to come from a very specific point of view. And the fact that Calvin was a lawyer, right? He, he was uh, from Switzerland. He was a lawyer. He came from a, a law point of view to his theology. Which makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can, you can see that. It's easy to see. So I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a good way to look at it, and it's great it's great to read your Bible a lot. It's great to know the Bible. It's it's a I think it's a, a worthy uh, a worth, worthy pastime, and I don't mean to say it's just a pastime. Uh, it's it's a a worthy endeavor to know your Bible well, but I think it's also good to know what your Bible can't tell you. Uh, what your Bible doesn't cover, uh, and uh, and to have a good hermeneutic, which I've talked about before, on how to read the Bible. Um, if you come from a, you know, from the tradition I grew up in, a Church of Christ hermeneutic, or a Calvinist hermeneutic, or a Mormon hermeneutic, or a Catholic hermeneutic, you're going to read the Bible in a certain way, certain things because you've been told to believe certain things are going to pop up to you. But for the person who opens the Bible for the first time and knows nothing of these other traditions and just reads the words of the Bible, it's going to be a vastly different story. Most Christians, I would venture to say, I'm not sure this is true, but it's my guess. This is my guess. Most Christians were raised on Bible stories of things that happened in the Bible before they ever read it for themselves. And so they saw watered-down, uh, child-friendly versions of stories when they were going to uh, uh, Sunday school, for example, uh, about Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark, uh, Joseph and his uh, uh, coat of many colors, right? creation story, Adam and Eve, right? Um, a lot of these stories from the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, the the five loaves and two fishes, right? The feeding of the 4,000 or 5,000, whichever one it was. Um, stories of Jesus uh, doing this and that, right? We learn all these stories, child, child, um, what do you call it? Child versions. Kid versions? kid versions of these stories that are dumbed down and watered down a bit um, and are uh, appropriate for uh, child consumption. Uh, way, well before uh, we learn about, we, we read the scripture for ourselves, right? So we're already familiar. We've already got a hermeneutic that was given to us by our family, by our moms and our dads and whoever taught us in Sunday school or, you know, grandparents or whatever. We have all of these, um, and if you're like me, you probably had a children's uh, Bible, a, you know, a children's Bible storybook around the house where you looked at different stories from time to time. 
In fact, I'm just having kind of a nostalgic moment remembering mine. I had a really nice one. Um, I remember right now Moses is really coming to mind. Um, things that, yeah. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so you didn't start from, from scratch, right? You weren't looking at the scriptures afresh. Um, you were coming from a hermeneutic. You were coming from a, a uh, somebody's idea. So when, when somebody takes the Bible and they make it uh, a story for children, they're making decisions based on their her hermeneutic of what they feel is important in the story, right? But that's what we all do. When we, even if you're reading the scripture verbatim, I don't care in what language, you are still seeing the things that your previous life has programmed you to see. Certain things pop up, right? You know, for example, I live in Asia now, and, and before, if I'd read the Bible and talk about, and Paul went to Asia or something like this, I wouldn't really think of it. But now that I live in Asia, uh, anytime the word Asia comes up in the New Testament, it, it's like, wow, I wonder where he went. Wonder how far they got in Asia, right? It's very, it's a very specific thing because I now live in Asia, be it the Far East, but still, um, there are certain things that I see now because of my experiences of life that I wouldn't have necessarily keyed in on before. And I think that's just how it goes. At least that's my my guess. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, you read the Bible as you are, right? You read the Bible as you are. And everybody is something by the time they read the Bible. They don't come out of the womb and go right to the scriptures, right? There's life that's lived between the time uh, that you have entered the world uh, and, the, and the time that you were able to sit down and actually study uh, scripture. I didn't do a lot of studying as a kid. Like, I, of course, I went to Bible studies all the time and I had classes and but of course, it was all, I don't really remember anything we ever learned. It was mostly, I would say, 80% about learning how to use the Bible as a tool. Finding where things are. Knowing the, the names of the books of the Bible. Sometimes knowing who wrote the books. Uh, knowing different themes in the Bible. and Where to find uh, very specific scriptures. For example... Churches of Christ love Acts 2.38 and Acts 2.38 will be forever burned into my brain. I, it's never going to leave, I don't think, uh, because that scripture is the scripture that Churches of Christ like to die on. That's the hill that they would fight on to prove that baptism is necessary for salvation. Right? Uh, that's, that's a big one for them. Acts 2.38 and that's uh, Peter uh, preaching on uh, the day of Pentecost right uh, 
where 3,000 men were saved. Um, Repent and be baptized, every, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, or something like this. That's Acts 2.38. Um, Church of Christ, love that verse. Uh, because uh, it's an important one to uh, to push their uh, hermeneutical agenda on people. Right? Uh, if you believe something else, we'll just read this and this will convince you. You know, even though it's one verse out of how many hundreds of thousands of verses are in the Bible? Hundreds of thousands? I don't even know how many verses are in the Bible. Uh, there are lots. Um, but that one, that's the one that's right. <laughs> Talk about cherry picking, right? Uh, yeah, so you're going you're gonna to read the Bible based on who you are, right? read the Bible based on who you are, not based on what it says necessarily. The Bible is a reflection of you. And I know I'm rehashing some of this stuff again, and maybe there are new people that haven't heard some of these ideas, and I'd be grateful if you'd chew on them and let me know uh, what you think. But it's not that the Bible doesn't say anything. That, that would be silly. Um, the Bible says a lot. But I really believe with all my heart that we need to read the Bible from the best possible hermeneutic possible. Best possible hermeneutic possible. Uh, not to be too redundant. Uh, we need to have a good lens. We need to have a trusty lens with which to read the Bible. And you're never going to be able to disregard your lens, right? Your specific, unique lens that is made up of your experiences uh, in life up to this point. You're never going to be able to completely disregard that. But you can put on a lens uh, that will help you make sense of all, of all of the life that's gone on before, right? Not just scripture, but your life uh, and the scriptures themselves. Uh, and, and that's Christ, right? So Christ is uh, is our best hermeneutic. He's the best lens uh, through which we can understand just what's going on in the world and in Scripture. He's, he's the lens that illuminates meaning and gives depth to Scripture, correct depth. Now, you can, you can read a lens through an uh, Old Testament notion of God, you know, angry, judgmental, uh, bloodthirsty. You can read scripture through that lens and it will tell you stuff. Um, but it doesn't necessarily tell you who uh, God is if you're not reading through the lens of Jesus because we know that at least Jesus thought, at least if you believe what John said, Jesus believed that he and the Father were one, that if you'd seen him, you'd seen the Father. Uh, in other places, he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you will find eternal life. But it is the scriptures that point to me, Jesus is saying. And if you would come to me, you basically, he's saying, you would be saved, right? Uh, 
but you, you're not listening to me, quote unquote Jesus. Uh, you're listening. You're 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 reading your Bibles through the wrong hermeneutic, and it is, it, it is not allowing you to know who God is. Uh, in other places, he says you you what is it? You don't know God. He says you read the scriptures, but you don't know God. Anyway, I'm not very. Uh, my memory is not serving me very well today, as far as what the scriptures say specifically. Um, <clears throat> but. Uh, Be that as it may, uh, for me, I'm still going to to use Jesus as my lens as much as possible. And that is to understand everything, not just scriptures. Uh, but if I don't use Jesus to understand understand the scriptures, the scriptures are really meaningless and sometimes dangerous. Uh, and I think we see that play out in the world time and time again, whether it was the Crusades or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean? You know, how, how is Jesus going to be your lens? How does this play out? Uh, so for me, if you can get a good idea of what God wants you to know of himself, right? If, if, if you can get to the places where God reveals himself... Uh, in in the most explicit way, then I think you can begin to know who Jesus is or who God is through Jesus, right? And so I think the life of Jesus is found in the four Gospels, the so-called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think you could add Acts. He does make an appearance in there. Uh, I, I think you will come to know who God is by knowing who Jesus is. And no, you can't know everything about God, but I think you can know his character. And if you come away after reading about Jesus, if you come away with the idea that Jesus, uh, his character is love, right? He loved unconditionally and completely with no limits. Uh, he loved, uh, in order to bring people near, he loved even when he rebuked people. Uh, he he never was violent towards people. Uh, he he always tried to help people, right? Whether it's physically or in other ways, uh, that was his whole life: serving mankind. Uh, and and he was so good that he was killed for it. You know, he, he, he threatened the powers that be, whether it was the religious powers uh, or the political powers, both came together to put Jesus on the cross um, because they were threatened by his message of love. <clears throat> and I think the world today is still threatened by this message. I don't think there's any question. Too on time for me. 
basics. Another way to say that. So, yeah. Uh, I know today is a little bit disjunct, uh, a little bit out of whack. Um, not everything is always going to flow well, but I just want to leave you with this. Get to know Jesus as found in the Gospels. Let Jesus illuminate everything else. Get to know who God is by knowing Jesus. Jesus is God. Uh, we've seen Jesus. We've seen the Father, right? Nobody knows the Father except the Son. So to come to the Father, you have to go to the Son. In other words, to know the Father, you have to know the Son, right? <clears throat> That's how we understand who God is. That's why Jesus came, so we understand who God is. And a better picture of who God is, being that he is the creator of the universe, uh, helps us understand who we are. Right? Um, we are a reflection of the one who made us. The earth is a reflection of the one who made it. So, yeah, I, I really think we have to go, go back to Jesus often. He says that he tells the woman at the woman at the well in, in John chapter four, I think. You know, if you knew how, who I was, you would come to me, and I would give you living water. Right, living water. And if you drink this water, you will never be thirsty again. Uh, Jesus is is the fountain of living water, uh, and he can he can complete us in a way that nothing else does. And again, I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about the way the Christian religion has turned out. I think most of the... <laughs> well, everybody needs to repent from time to time. Let's just put it that way. But I think Christianity has just as much reason to repent as any other religion. Uh, <clears throat> and one of the things that Christianity needs to repent of is religiosity Jesus was reduced to a religion when he is so much more and when I say Jesus I'm talking about the Christ right the chosen one the, uh, the one who who is now Jesus now is in the person of the Christ right he is he is on the throne. He has all authority. And because we know that he is love, uh, the way he uses his authority is in loving people. He has the authority to love whom he pleases. And he, he, he chooses to love everyone. He chooses to love everyone. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, this podcast today is going to be posted just a few hours later than usual because my computer battery is completely dead. I found out right before I left. That's probably kind of what threw off my my thinking. It was on the charger, I thought, and either I forgot to connect it to the charger, charging cable, or it got popped off. You know, these mag mag safe chargers do pop off from time to time. So, yeah, 
anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, I'm going to have to wrap this up right about now, and you guys have a great week. Bye-bye.